Nearly 2,000 years ago, a rabbi walked along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. He invited 12 young men to follow him. He invited them to form a new form of family, the, the new humanity that would be on display for the world. It would come through them and this family wouldn't be built along bloodlines that run through our veins, but along the blood that was shed on the cross. It would transcend national boundaries, linguistic groups, even time. His vision for this often involved speaking to people who had abused their positions of power. And he often found his truest friends in the margins of society. He announced what was kind of the, the mission uh, statement of his entire life. The first time he ever preached, when he opens up the scroll, in the book of Isaiah, in Luke chapter 4, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus always found those who were suffering, and he made their lives better. He once said, I've come to give you life, and that you would have it to the full. And everyone who ever experiences Jesus, genuinely experiences Jesus, experiences that. Now, throughout the rest of his ministry, he would repeatedly keep telling the disciples that it was actually going to be better in their lives when he went away because what was coming next was even better. That it wasn't just going to be God walking beside them, but it was going to be God dwelling within them. He was so excited about this next stage that he referred to it as the gift of God. He told him it would be better when he was going to be gone. And he even said at one point in time that they were going to go on to do even greater things than he. That their influence was going to reverberate from Jerusalem and Judea throughout Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so 50 days after the resurrection, when everyone had once again gathered in Jerusalem, this time not for the Feast of Passover, but for the Feast of first fruits, the gift of heaven finally came. And the first harvest of first fruits, not from the fields, but from the hearts of men, took place. And when that long-promised Holy Spirit finally arrived in a new way, the first thing that he ever did was to unify people from all different nations, tribes, and tongues in that room on that first night. It was a predictor of things that would come. It was the essence of what his work was going to be all about, that socioeconomic lines would not divide the people of God anymore. It wouldn't come along gender. It wouldn't come along wealth. It wouldn't come along beauty. But we would all be leveled before the cross. I want to read that story for you at Pentecost, because that's what this past Sunday was. That's the season that we are in. From Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
And now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? The miraculous has happened right in front of them and they're trying to make meaning out of all of it. When startling things happen in front of us, we're meaning-making beings. You and I are all doing the same thing in a world around us right now that seems to be changing faster and faster. Maybe in our lifetime we've never sensed a greater sense of a loss of control, anxiety, or fears of the future, fears of safety, fears of where we're going next. And right now, on a day and in a season in which we remember tongues of fire dancing over the apostles' heads, instead of celebrating spiritual vitality and a fire that's burning, instead we look around, we watch the evening news, and we see the smoldering fires of destruction burning across our nation's cities and reverberating out to the other great cities of the world. It was the vision of the Holy Spirit of God in his first act of ministry that we would be one, that we would be unified. And it is the call of the people of God to work towards that end and to pull that future into the presence, into the present every time we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, give us that future reality already now. Let us live it out in our words and in our actions and our thoughts and in our prayers. It's a Holy Spirit vision for what could be. That's what we saw on Pentecost. It's that same Holy Spirit vision that was articulated maybe never better in all of history than when Martin Luther King Jr. stood up and said, I have a dream. And his dream matched a Holy Spirit vision. And Peter's explanation of what was happening in that weird moment when tongues of fire danced over the apostles' heads and languages were being understood from all different places in the world. Peter makes meaning of the situation by opening up the book of Joel and saying that in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. The Apostle Paul later on would go on to articulate a vision for the kingdom of God, a Holy Spirit vision that in Christ there would be neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, black nor white. And it's not because the perfect love of God is colorblind. No, that's not it at all. 
It's actually because the perfect love of God teaches us and refines our hearts not merely to accept diversity, but to celebrate it, to realize that our interdependence makes us human. To bear the image of God is to reflect a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwelling together in perfect community. We were made in that image to need the other, not to fear the other. In the kingdom of God, there can be no place for subtle or overt racism, oppression, brutality, or murder. Nor can there even be a hint of it. To do so is like slapping the face of God, to mock his handiwork, his masterpiece, It was his son himself who told us, whatever you've done for one of the least of these, he did it to me. And there's no place in the kingdom of God for racial tension. And yet, tragically, there's been a significant place of it in our nation's history for 400 years. And what's worse yet, today as we look around us, the sins of our fathers are not just revisiting us, we are actually seeing the sins of our fathers being enacted by us. And in the words of an old friend of mine, it's time to stop blaming the darkness for being dark. It's time to start asking the light why it's not shining any brighter. George Floyd was an image bearer of the living God. Derek Chauvin is an image bearer of the living God. Both are true. And now, the Heavenly Father of both weeps. Do you know that yesterday a story came out on CBS? I couldn't believe it. George Floyd and Derek Chauvin over the past year actually worked part-time at the same dance club, running security. They provided the same service, they did the same thing, and in fact, on Tuesday nights, for much of the past year, their shifts were even at the same time. Like every life on this planet, in every dearly beloved child of God, their lives intersected. And then one snuffed the other out. Friends, we all want to know what were you supposed to do in times and in moments like this. And I want you to know that there will be no healing in our land until the Holy Spirit's vision of a new humanity is finally on display in those who will call upon the name of Jesus, who will define themselves by it. There will be no healing in our land until we pattern our lives after the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ. There will be no healing in our land until those who call themselves Christians acknowledge and change the fact that 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings is still the most segregated hour of the week in America and has been for 400 years. There will be no healing in our land until we learn to lament and weep for the sins of our past. There will be no healing in our land until we begin to name and confess sins of injustice and racism and privilege. There will be no healing in our land until we begin to take seriously what it means to love our neighbor as ourself 
Not just in a Sunday school verse that is memorized, but in a deeper meaning that works its way hard into our lives. You see, I have not actually ever loved my neighbor as myself until I am willing to fight for the same opportunities for his children that I am for mine. Until I want the same opportunities, the same freedoms, the same realities for my Latino neighbor's children, for my black neighbor's children, for everybody else's children as I want for my own. And until I'm willing to fight for that the same way I fight for me, have I ever a day in my life loved my neighbor as much as myself? And friends, there will be no healing in our land until you and I learn to march, not under the flag of my political allegiance or whatever cause I stand behind, but until you and I march first and foremost before all else under the banner of love, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following our suffering Messiah, who showed us the path to resurrection, to redemption, and to glory. And until that happens, the vision of the Holy Spirit will remain a faraway dream. And we, we lament that reality today. And we hope for a different, for a better tomorrow. For George Floyd's family, for the family of God and for every one of his children that he died to save us from all of this.